electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Today on Squawk Pod. It's Black Friday. Are doorbusters and big shopping deals a thing of the past? CNBC's Steve Leisman on the consumer. It's like a bridge game. Black Friday and the deals Black Friday, it's the opening bid. Does stuff move? No. We're going to lower prices more. And the Wall Street Journal's Joanna Stern on the best tech buys. You get to play Pictionary with AI, with your phone. Is there any more dystopian gift to give anyone this holiday season? Did you talk about OpenAI and the Sam Altman saga at your Thanksgiving table? Some of us did. We talk about the robots taking over the world. Clearly somebody saw something, and I don't know if that should make people excited or scared. Plus, a conversation you'll only hear on Squawk Pod. What kind of money does, like, creating a podcast earn you? It can be very lucrative. Yeah. If you do it correctly. They're known as TMG, from YouTubers to media moguls in waiting. Cody Ko and Noelle Miller on the business of the creator economy. And she brought me this opportunity. It was like, do you want to tweet about Klondike bars for like five grand or something? And I was like, what? Oh my God, five grand? I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. It's Friday, November 24th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Steve Leisman. Look up, Steve. Look up. (laughs) Joe is off today, but we are here. And we're going to get you ready for this holiday-shortened session today on Wall Street. The stock market actually will close at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Bond market's going to be closing at 2 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, the last trading session. You saw all three of the major averages higher once again. You're now talking about six out of seven days in a row that you've seen higher gains for the S&P, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100. We'll continue to watch this. You're talking about stocks have come up pretty significantly. Um, at this point, only 45 to 5.5% below the uh, all-time highs, at least for the S&P and the Dow. What is that? What's what? That sound. Is that the sound of shopping bags? I don't know what that is. It's something on your, is it your phone? Oh, it's my phone. (laughs) I don't even know what sound that is, though. I don't know what sound that it is Very strange. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, never mind. I'm glad I'm here. Okay, so it's not just my head. The voice is in my head. Um, We've been watching also crude oil prices. Crude prices pulled back this week after OPEC delayed its policy-setting meeting in a surprise move on Wednesday. Sources told Reuters that oil-producing countries were struggling to agree on output levels ahead of the meeting that was originally scheduled for this Sunday. Angola and Nigeria in particular were said to be pushing for higher oil output. The meeting will now be held virtually on Thursday, November 30th, looking at crude prices, $76. So a good little gift for those who are shopping and otherwise uh, for consumers like a tax cut. 
Yeah, it's been kind of shocking to see prices as low as they've gone. Um, that OPEC meeting, um, the, the reason for the delay is still not clear at this point. But uh, what the major speculation has been is obviously that they're, they're not completely confirmed. There's not uh, solidarity in terms of what OPEC may or may not do. It was pretty shocking. We fell below $75 on Wednesday when we were watching prices when this uh, news first came out. Uh, of course, it's also happening on the same time that you're going to see a, a four-day ceasefire happening right. in the Middle East, too. What's interesting uh, is that oil was going to be, or normally would be, the conduit by which all the turmoil in the Middle East would affect the U.S. economy. Uh, but that's not the case. And, and one potential reason, Becky, is because of how much oil we produce here in this country. Sure. And so the idea that there would be some embargo that which could lift prices, even if it didn't exist, it would be sort of a, a fear of an embargo could lift prices. But we're now producing, uh, we're, we're now exporting oil, essentially. So th that conduit is not necessarily open as a means by which you would transmit that turmoil into the U.S. economy. Yeah, Andrew, it's been something to to, to kind of watch because there are, there were people who were look expecting much higher prices, though. Um, yep. Part of it's been the supply side. The other part of it's been the demand side of the picture, too. And weakness in China certainly put some pressure on WTI even before um, we, we heard from from any of these things that, that were happening in the Middle East. I was thinking almost every analyst that we had on the last two months has called for much higher prices than this. It's yeah. hard to, I, don't, I can't even remember somebody who came on who said we'd be at 76, uh, 71. And we're learning more about the ouster and return of OpenAI uh, CEO Sam Altman. Reuters reporting that before the board fired Altman, several staff researchers wrote a letter to the board warning of a powerful artificial intelligence discovery that they said could threaten humanity. Sources telling Reuters that the previously unreported letter and AI breakthrough were key developments ahead of Altman's ouster and factored in to the board's list of grievances with Altman. Other concerns included commercializing uh, these advances before understanding the consequences. The day before Altman was fired, he told world leaders at the APEC summit that he believed major advances were in sight. And Becky, we've been talking about the soap opera for so long, but uh, I mean, a, a very short soap opera, by the way, uh, yeah. given that it happened over the course of uh, 72 hours. But so interesting that now we're hearing um, that there really was and really is some kind of innovation um, that may actually make people unnerved. And uh, it appears that Ilya, uh, who was on the board, uh, may have actually been part of that uh, discovery as well. So. But which also goes to the question of you know, what did the board know and what did they didn't know? There are clearly people who on the board who did know uh, some of these things that were happening. But nonetheless, you know, we talk about uh, the robots taking over the world. Clearly somebody saw something. And I don't know if that should make people excited or scared. That, I mean, that's a pretty scary contention. As you mentioned, Ilya on the board, also the chief scientist at OpenAI, um, his concerns that went along with this and the... I, that would make sense as to why the board wasn't talking before, right? Why didn't we hear nothing about why they fired him, what led up to that? Hopefully this will put, um, the idea that this is being reported right now will put a little bit of a, a slowdown, a pace on some of those things. Um, but this has been the big question. You know, Andrew, we talked about it earlier in the week, just the idea that if you equate this to the Manhattan Project, right, the idea of the development of yep. the nuclear bomb, if this is the scariest thing for humanity that's possibly out there, the difference last time around is it was governments who were working on that. Um, now you have 
governments and commercial entities really are the driving forces behind some of these things. And, and that's why it's probably so important to have some sort of regulatory oversight. That's what Congress has been uh, dealing with. But you, you, again, it's not just the United States, it's China and other countries that, oh. are, that are working on these things too. Um, but that certainly would seem to give some pause or some people some real thought to think about this. You've right. had people like just, Elon just Musk to, who uh, say this is the most dangerous thing right. on the planet. But ju just to give everybody a little bit of hope, maybe, I don't know if this will do it, you know, if you really understand what the report's suggesting, it's not that they have created some kind of large language model that can do everything yet. What it appears like was that they created actually a small language model that could do a lot, a lot yeah. more than they had anticipated. And that if you were to extrapolate out what they created and what could happen if you inputted a lot more data into it um, based on what they'd done historically. Now, it doesn't mean that this is all going to happen the same way, but if it was done historically, that you would get pretty close to what they're calling AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. I don't think it's true artificial general intelligence, but it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, momentous leap forward. So that, that's what, that was the, what the discovery was on the science side of things. And then the question is, what do you do about that? How do you commercialize Can it? I, uh, How do you invest in it? And, and, and how do you go, put go controls? Ahead, yeah. Can I pipe right. in with, with two anecdotes I got from sure. two people in my life? And it reflects the way I sort of felt about this. Um, one person said to me, a person who I didn't know lost their job and now they got their job back and I'm supposed to be concerned about this. And um, my wife said, why is this guy losing his job, the lead story in the New York Times? And I, I sort of still kind of I mean, feel that I, way. We're looking and maybe Andrew has found Steve, it in what, this report. You know what this is like? Steve, what? you know what this is like? This is like if we were talking about Heisenberg, yeah. literally. That, that's that's the that's the analogy here. It, this it is may somebody be, who's, Andrew, who's but, but we this keep is somebody for, who may be creating something that is so great. Maybe in so maybe, and such I, I an amazing technological like, revolution, and on the other side could be something that is potentially look, you know, super I dangerous. It. I get it, but I'm just saying for a week now we've been trying to understand what happened and why it matters, and maybe this morning you why, finally matters. found it, but I'm not sure. I just, I'm just, I'm just, I why, think it's why about would, job loss and more about the potential for something. Right. Really but why would, why would this create such dysfunction at the board? Why, why are they incapable of dealing with this? It just, well, they, they it were, bugs me no end. No, that, but that, the, the, I think what happened was OpenAI was set up as a nonprofit or a not-for-profit, right, whatever, a 5013C to, but it, it, this is a, an undertaking that can't happen without billions and billions of dollars of computing power and other right. resources being right. poured in. They'd basically been asking companies to do that as a, you know, as a, as a write-off. Like, you're going to be donating this time and money and computing power. And the whole idea was, because it's so potentially dangerous, you still have to have these people who don't have monetary interests who are controlling the decisions on that. When those people decided to make that controlling decision and say, we're not going to do right. this, clearly, you know, the investors stepped up and said, wait a second, this is not good governance for our investment that we put into this. And that, this is a different situation than it was. Look, right. I, I Steve, think it's been I... gradually moving towards that, but this is a recognition that the commercial interests are driving this. Steve, I just, I just think even as, as somebody who's interested in the economy, this, to me, if, if this company has the success that I think a lot of people think it may, the implications, uh, even on, let's just go on the upside, would, would have such a profound impact on the economy. We talk about 
jobs, job losses, uh, productivity. I mean, you could go down the line of what this technology, if you I'm believe I'm excited it, about the potential you, of you don't have to convince you know, me, Andrew, why about the importance of AI. I'm just saying the way this story because this is out. the leading, this is this company is so far ahead of every I, other company in the world. The way this story is rolled it, out, it was somebody who nobody knew, at a company that no, that very few people were aware of, was all of a sudden on the front page, for reasons that I contend to this moment are still unclear. And I'll leave it there. Yeah, I, I, I'll look, I just there. think there's. I understand the confusion because this was not a real well-known right. company outside or of certain a well circles, guy. or a well-known guy outside of certain circles. But I think what they're working on is so important. I agree. Uh, and, I and agree, that, and I yeah. get it. I'm just saying that it's still we're still looking for the reason, and maybe Andrew this morning found it in the small language model that could destroy the world. I don't know. <laughs> Andrew, I will tell you, Steve and I were just sitting here ranting a little bit. I'm looking at all the Black Friday email ads that I have in my inbox. Every retailer I've ever bought anything from, ever, emailing to try and get me to buy something on Black Friday. Like, talk about spam. I, I can't unsubscribe fast enough well, from Kim, all Well, I just things. have one comment. I don't know if you have the same comment because you know how cheap I am. The emails this year, the deals don't seem that great. <laughs> I'm getting a... I'm not I'm opening not them. I'm so mad I, at the influx of I'm the, opening them, and I'm looking at them, and they're not that... The deals aren't that great. What do I what do I need maybe, this for? Maybe if there's time on the other side of the break, I'll tell you why this is all really good economic news, what you guys are talking about. Why? Maybe I on like the other that side tease. Of the, break. the tease. Okay, I'm curious. I'll bite. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, we're hitting the stores. To anyone who's shopping today, there is no such thing in the world as a free iPhone. Joanna Stern, the Wall Street Journal personal technology columnist, offers tips on the top gadgets to put on your gift list. My kids love this thing. They love it. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Becky Quick and Steve Leisman in for Joe this morning. We talked earlier in the show about how retailers are flooding email inboxes this morning with ads for deals. Steve, we teased after that that there are ways you thought that that could be good for the economy. I want to look, the biggest problem in the economy right now, as everybody believes, is inflation. Yeah. Lower prices are good for the economy, a rollback. It's a challenge for retailers' profits. Some companies are going to make money in a more competitive environment. But having a competitive environment, bringing down prices, I disagree with one of our economists earlier. I didn't get a chance to say. They said, well, look, goods prices are not the problem. Services are the problem. Uh -huh. You can still have more goods deflation. Uh, we've been at a zero year over year. We can go down to one, minus 1%, one minus 2%. You and I have been doing this for, you want Long to admit time. it? No. I don't want to admit it either. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. Point is this. You can have a lousy Black Friday, prices come down. Leasemans, economic rule number one, number one, don't say somebody's not going to buy till you know the price they're not going to buy it at, right. right? And there's a negotiation going on. It's like a bridge game. Black Friday and the, the deal's Black Friday, it's the opening bid. Does right. stuff move? No. We're going to lower prices more. That's why I think it's necessary. it could be a good macroeconomic be, development to see these prices the come down. This is the same battle we've always had. Is it could be good for the economy? Because this right. is when I was covering retail and you were covering the economy. Exactly. It could be good for the economy, <laughs> but it may not be great for the retailers' bottom lines. Because if they are discounting things too heavily, that's not great news. It, it means that they're not going to make any money or have profitability on those numbers that come right. in. And the, the consumer will still be spending. And I don't envy the retailer their job, which is, wait a second, got to start ordering this stuff in September? No, no, no. August? By July, it's all July. coming in. By July, it's so all coming I got to figure out in July what's going to happen. In the, yeah. So there may be too much inventory. There may not be enough I, I inventory. Think this time around, I, the retailers are in much better position with inventory. They have cracked down significantly over the last couple of years. So on that limits inventory. the extent to which prices are going to fall. If yeah. the stuff's not there, plus you have the weather story. There are 31 days that you have in the shopping season this time around. Do you know that I read in Politico? I, I think it's, this it's is a really long true, season. that Franklin Delano Roosevelt moved Thanksgiving to create more time for people to shop between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Really? It used to be the last Thursday, and now I guess it's the second last Thursday, what, so what, whatever it is. Um, and he moved it during the Depression, I guess, in order to make more time for people to buy. Wow. And Republicans opposed it. Not every state moved it initially. I did not know that, but there's a, there's a, le a litany of history lessons we're getting here today. By the way, I should correct something I said earlier when I said that today is the first Black Friday game that the NFL is going to be playing since 1962 when it was the Bills and the Patriots. It wasn't the NFL. That was the AFL. So those were oh, right. two <laughs> AFL teams that played back then. So I forgive you that yeah. mistake of all the Minor correction <laughs> in the history lesson. Well, I hope I was right with the was sourcing Politico look on that, up. but that look was kind of check, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to look it up as soon as we get on. All right. Joining us right now to take a look at some of the top tech gadgets this holiday season is Joanna Stern, who is the Wall Street Journal's senior personal technology columnist, also a CNBC contributor. And Joanna, you have done a great thing by putting together some of the best purchases that people should be making. Your list of the, the be 25 best tech gifts. I think what I'd love to do is just start with those gifts that are under 50 bucks, because there was one that was really interesting to me. What, what is the, the number one item? It has to do with AI, but it's something for kids from Mattel. 
I'm I'm a big fan of this AI Pictionary game. That's right. That's right. What it's twenty five dollars. You you get to play Pictionary with AI with your phone. I mean, really, is there any more dystopian gift to give anyone this holiday season? But no, it's actually really fun. You set up your phone. You have your 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 drawing boards, and you get to draw. And then you kind of guess. You get to you get to have the phone scan and see if it guesses what you've drawn accurately. Wow, this okay. is a thing. At 25 bucks. Why don't you go a little higher in for people who maybe have a few hundred bucks that they can spend? What would you recommend? I'm going to stay on the AI theme because, you know, I think there's lots of buzz and lots of hype and lots of negativity around AI. But I think there's a lot of fun to have with AI as well. So we had the AI Pictionary. The other one is this Bird Buddy. It is actually a birdhouse that has AI built in. So it's it's got a camera in the birdhouse. <gasps> The bird stops by. Yeah, it eats the food. And then the app tells you what type of bird it is. It's using image recognition and machine learning and AI to tell you what kind of bird it is. I have this outside my house, and I'm telling you, it is the best thing I bought this year. And it sends you pictures every time a bird stops by? It sends you pictures. You can control that because, you know, there's a lot of traffic to the birdhouse, and you don't (laughs) want it every time. But my kids (laughs) love this thing. They love it. It also, by the way, I will tell you, lots of squirrels love the birdhouse. I'm working on that. That's less of a technical thing. You got to get, you got to figure out the food to not have the, the the squirrels come by. Anyway, that's 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 not neither here nor there. Give me one more tech gift to splurge on. Something that somebody's got at least a few hundred dollars can can buy if they're looking for that special gift. Look, I'm going to talk about the iPhone. I think, look, I, I bought the iPhone Pro Max this year. It was the first year I went to the big iPhone. That's $1,200 this year, a little bit more than it had been previously. And I think if you're going to get an iPhone, you should get the biggest iPhone this year. It's got a better camera. It's got that bigger screen. And it's got better battery life, which I've written extensively on some of the battery life issues of the previous models. So I would go with that. I would just say, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, all I want for Christmas is you USB-C. This is the USB-C port that has changed from Lightning to USB-C on these iPhones. That's a big change, but you're going to want to give people the stocking stuffers of those USB-C cords, which will come back down. You can you can get some pretty good cords for under $25. So here I am telling you to buy this very expensive phone, but then you can buy some cheap cables. Joanna, let, let's talk a little bit about how Apple's doing as we head into the holiday season, what the expectations are, and maybe get to a couple other companies too. Yeah, look, I, it, it's been a big smartphone smartphone turndown. I will also say to anyone who's shopping today, there is no such thing in the world as a free iPhone. You're going to see all of these companies, the Verizons, the AT&Ts, the T-Mobiles, telling you you can get a free iPhone. There's always the fine print. You've got to trade in there, and you're going to have to sign up for their their you know bigger plans, right? The whole point of this is to keep you on those networks. So. Look, there are good deals to be had if you have old trade-in phones or phones that need to be traded in, but this is all a push to get you to keep upgrading that iPhone every couple of years. And and what's the expectation? I mean, there was so much that was pulled forward during the pandemic. There, there were concerns that maybe the consumer would slow down. Have we seen that at all yet? We've certainly seen it in smartphones, right? Apple has acknowledged there is a downturn. There's a global, da- you know, global shares of uh, global market uh, market of smartphones has been down, declining. Uh, quarter over quarter. They are hoping this iPhone 15 pushes that ahead. Apple has also talked a lot about their Mac business. So if they're, if you're looking for a new Mac, there are some new Macs out there. Apple's pushed those out ahead of the holidays with the M3 chip. Faster performance doesn't necessarily get you much more improvement in the hardware, but the, but the chips are faster. Okay. Joanna, thank you. Joanna Stern, appreciate the tips, and we'll see All you right. again soon. I think I figured out the Sam Altman story, Becky. You did? He was working on an AI and the bird buddy thing that was going to kill the squirrel. (laughs) That's what it was.
the other the other part of the board wanted just not to feed the squirrel, and Sam wanted to kill the squirrel with the AI. Well, there are questions about Terminator. That's exactly right. Check out Bitcoin, though, this morning, up more than a percent for the month. The cryptocurrency up nearly 12 percent. I don't know. Was this one of those years that people, Steve, talked about uh, Bitcoin at the Thanksgiving Day table? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I remember years and years past where that was, you know, a conversation across the country. But I don't know if it if it is now. But maybe, maybe it was. Didn't come up at my here. table. Kind of interesting. I didn't notice that. So you just pointed it out. But, you know, we have uh, a bunch of 20 somethings there and you think they'd be talking about it. But they didn't. Andrew, how about yours? Uh, I got, I got, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I have small guys, obviously not uh, as old as yours, and they occasionally do, uh, not this year, but they do talk about that, you know, they're, they're, they're like crypto curious. I'm trying to remember what we talked about. We were just eating so much. I'm not sure there was, we, we, we decided not to do politics. We had a small table and, uh, yeah, so it was, it was all good. It's all good. Uh, also, not talking about crypto is maybe a sign of acceptance to some level, too, Andrew. You know, just the idea that right. it's not as Matured, much in the news because it's kind of right, right, right. It's not the the it topic anymore because it's kind of just melted into being here, I guess, maybe. Next. And for the people who don't know, what does TMG stand for? Um, the, the media guys. The media guys. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. The media gang. No, it's no. Tiny Meat Gang. Cody Ko and Noel Miller, from viral Vine stars to creative forces, the duo behind TMG, a thriving podcast studio for online creators. I think it's so tongue-in-cheek that no one can take it seriously. But it's serious business. More Squawk Pod right after this. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. You're listening to Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Let's explore the creator economy. It's become a thriving sector where content creators engage audiences on platforms like TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, earning millions through ad revenue and collaborating with brands. The total addressable market for the creator economy is expected to double in size to $480 billion by 2027. Our next guests are two of the biggest creators online. They have nearly 20 million followers across platforms. Cody Ko and Noel Miller. They initially gained success on YouTube and have expanded their influence with their own podcast, Tiny Meat Gang. This is episode one of the Tiny Meat Gang podcast. And so I want to give a big shout out to all the people who are listening to this right now, because that means you are a supporter on Patreon. The duo has maintained a strong collaborative effort, delving into comedy, music, and live tours. As pioneers on the internet, they expanded their podcast into a full-fledged network. This expansion involved the establishment of a dedicated studio, offering advice, and implementing a subscription model with exclusive perks. Over the last six years, TMG Studios' podcasts have accumulated an impressive 200 million downloads. 
Cody Co. and Noelle Miller join Squawk Pod now. I wanted to start going back to how you started building your own personal creator businesses and where you guys started as creators. Yeah, it was pretty straightforward. Cody and I started on a cam site. No, all right. We're not being funny. Um, <laughs> this is a serious podcast. This is a serious podcast. No, you could be funny. This is about business. It's about business. Right. We've right. got to get down to business. So when our, when our dads gave us our trust fund, we were like, <laughs> what are we going to buy? No. Um, well, I would say for me, it started, you know, I was doing stand up and I just started making vines to try to, you know, put myself in more than one place because it's, it's really hard to get time in LA to do stand up. So I saw like, you know, creating media online as a way to just elevate who I was and maybe as a way to leverage like more stage time. So for me, it was, I was, um, I was working like in the tech industry, but I was basically working as a software engineer writing social media apps. So I lived alone in Palo Alto as like a 21 year old and my life was just coding social media apps. So at night I would go home and like download the competitors and I would use them but then I would just keep using them because I was lonely and I would just make sketches by myself with multiple characters to make it feel like I had friends. And so that's why I started doing Vine, literally. And then I was like, that kind of like unlocked like the creative portion of my brain. I feel like I didn't realize I was in tune with until that moment. Like I was always like a analytical person and I thought I was like a left brain kind of person, but then I started doing these sketches and it just like made me realize that I'm more creative than I thought I was or giving myself credit for. Okay, well, start off by telling me how you realized you could start monetizing creating content on the internet. And what was that first brand deal like? Or like, how much was it? I still remember my first one, though. Yeah, yeah, hit it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a Klondike ad on Twitter. Mm. Twitter of all places. It was like, I remember someone brought me, I didn't even know how I got it or something. Maybe this was after I signed with a manager and she brought me this opportunity. It was like, do you want to tweet about Klondike bars for like five grand or something? And I was like, what? <laughs> oh my God, five grand? It was something, it was some preposterous amount of money that I, you know, that I sh probably shouldn't have made at that point, but also like mm -hmm. mind blowing compared to like, you know, the hours I was putting in as a software engineer and how that compared money wise. I was just like, right. this is crazy that first of all, you can make money doing this, but also this much. Right. I feel like once we started sort of making a little bit of money, it was like both of us were like, all right, let's try to figure out how to, how to make this a sustainable thing. Yeah. You know, there's always kind of changes in, you know, the creator economy in terms of like how and how effectively people are monetizing. Yeah. And so like adapting to those changes, at least in the very beginning, like helped us build, you know, like a foundation where we could leave our jobs and do it full time. During that time when you started TMG, it started with you guys doing music and then then transitioned to more of a collaborative podcast or vice versa. I think the first time we ever used the TMG name was for that song was for that song yeah so yeah. it did technically start with music yeah i guess it would yeah i guess in that the, case the, it would yeah yeah and, and for the people who don't know what does tmg stand for um the, the media guys the media guys <laughs> oh, okay okay the media gang no it's no. tiny meat gang yeah has that name ever gotten you in any trouble not any trouble but given you any like weird looks if you're talking to like more of like professional investors or Surprisingly, not really. I think it's so tongue-in-cheek that no one could take it seriously. Also, um, we I don't think we knew that that name was... It just had, like, enough of a, like, edge to it that I think it actually, you know, 
we agree that it stood out, you know, like on a list of shows or when you're talking about something uh, unknowingly, we were creating something that was like, oh, Tiny Meat Gang, like an agent will remember that so, so sort of thing. And, and at what point did you, were you getting that kind of uh, monetary success with your TMG podcast that you wanted to branch out and actually turn it into a network and acquire other podcasts and start your own podcasts that weren't even hosted by you guys? Um, I mean, we always, we were making pretty good money right off the jump, but yeah, like, you know, we treated it as another revenue stream mm-hmm. where it was like, this was all something that like we were trying, kind of trying to upgrade the show ourselves and putting a little bit of money back into it. But mostly it was like, you know, this is another revenue stream for us and let's just make sure the show is good and then we can kind of split the money at the end. And then we kind of eventually made the conscious decision that like we should treat this as a business and try yeah. to invest back in this and and uh, make it something that outlasts us. Yeah. What kind of money does like creating a podcast earn you? It can be very lucrative. Yeah. If you do it correctly. It's a it's a really it's a massive question to ask, honestly. Um, I mean, it's just it's just hard, like, you know, like getting to the point where you're making a lot of money is very tough. And especially so in podcasting, because, you know, a lot of the legacy features like RSS, for example, just like don't have natural discovery built in. Right. Yeah. That's why we put so much emphasis on YouTube, because it does. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, so it can be hard to break a podcast, but that's our thing to deal with. You yeah. Know? Once you get there, podcasts, like that format is naturally set up to monetize really, really well because you can have multiple mid-roll ads. Then you can also have programmatic ads and you can also advertise on top of that on AdSense on YouTube. Now, we we don't like necessarily recommend you do all of those because that can be a little like overbearing for the audience. But there's that plus there's, you know, subscription services, which we utilize. Now we have our own, which is TMGstudios.tv. Um, and then, of course, merch on top of that, live touring, a lot of podcasts now, like once they have an audience, the first thing they do is they go out and they book a live show to do a live podcast, which we've done as well. So, yeah, it can be a great, a great, great business. Yeah. It's just it's just kind of tough to get there. But that's like anything. Yeah. What direction do you see the creator economy going in at this point? Basically, like the top job wanted by kids is YouTuber right now. And you guys basically have that job and so much more. I don't know how sustainable that is. So where do you think these things are going? Is everyone going to be creators? Everyone going to post on TikTok now or? I don't know. I feel like the creator economy is kind of becoming more blurry in terms of like what is a explicit creator? It feels like every business now has a content creation like avenue baked in. Like, and you can see it even now on TikTok. It's like half the TikToks I see are shops. Yeah. Like they're like TikTok native shops that are also focusing on making content, but it's like, which is it? Is it a business or is it a content creator? You see it in insurance companies and everything now. Everyone's making content. Yeah. So it's just kind of becoming like more of like, it's more like synergistic and one in the same with just being an entrepreneur and running a business in general, I find. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. All right. And that's Squawk Pod for today. This Black Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. This podcast brings you the best of our TV show, plus a little extra, every day. Let us know what you think or what you're buying today. 
tweet us on X. Our handle is at Squawk CNBC. Or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one. 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.